0: Solomon's tone has changed. As we've journeyed through this book that Solomon wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we saw that Solomon began this book with a sharp, striking tone. It came across as a bit pessimistic. As one scholar said, Ecclesiastes seems to be the only book in the Bible that was written on a Monday morning. And as we studied that and thought about that, we came to the conclusion that Solomon was employing that tone on purpose. He was trying to shock people, to shock us from our spiritual lethargy so that we would understand the all-important truth that a life without God is a wasted life. And he makes that point over and over and over again in this book. And we, we begin to see some of the themes that he introduces in the first few chapters cycle back around. And interspersed between these, th- this repetition of themes, we see there are some, some sharing from Solomon of some proverbs. Some short, pithy statements of wisdom. And as Solomon brings his book to a conclusion, which we'll see next week, he wants to share just a few more proverbs with the reader. And again, as he shares these proverbs, his tone has changed. Instead of the, the tone of a, of a stern parent, we, we sense there's more of a tone of a, of a chat on the front porch with a grandparent, just dispensing wisdom. The tone goes from warning and declaration to dispensing sage advice. The tone goes from pessimism to proven advice for life and living. And so we're going to see that as we, as we hear these words of wisdom, these proverbs from Solomon, as again, as he brings this book to a conclusion. We're going to start in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Find your place there with me. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Solomon writes, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler, folly. Notice that word folly. Folly. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name. and We are so grateful for another opportunity to gather as a faith family. Lord, to to fellowship around our adoration for you to fellowship around the Word of God, knowing that when we study the Word of God, You speak to us as Your Word is applied to our heart by the Spirit of God. And I pray that as we study Your Word, Holy Spirit, You would open the eyes of our hearts that we would see these timeless truths and understand how they apply to our lives, how they apply to our families, how they apply to our church, how they apply to our community. God, give us understanding Give us great insight, again, by your Spirit. May we leave today rejoicing in the greatness of our God. May we leave today rejoicing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good news that you save sinners. And we'll thank you and praise you, Lord, for that grace. We place this time in your hands. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As... Solomon begins this section that we call chapter 10. He wants to remind us of the danger of folly. He wants us to understand that that if you're not vigilant and you do something out of foolishness and folly, you can ruin good things. Folly is can turn positives into negatives. Look what he says there at the very end of chapter 9 as he gets ready to share this section of Proverbs. Chapter 9, he says there, the, the last two verses, verse 17, "...the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner, one person living out folly... Destroys much good. And then look what it says in chapter 10, verse 1. He's going to use a proverb to make the same point. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So if you have this wonderful, expensive, uh, wonderful smelling ointment and flies get in it and flies die, it ruins the ointment. And here's the point he's making look at the next phrase. So a little folly, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Folly can turn positives into negatives. In fact, Philip Graham Ryken writes this, All it takes is one rash word, one rude remark, one hasty decision, one foolish pleasure, or one angry outburst to spoil everything. Maybe you found that to be true. There, you, you had a moment in your life that you're not very proud of. And you think back to that moment and you think, my folly turns some positives into negatives. That's the point he makes in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 10. Look what he writes. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. In other words, he's saying that that folly can mess up the social order of things and, and it can affect rulers and kings and, and it, can, it can turn everything upside down. That's the point that he's making. And then look in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 10. What are you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning? Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility." And your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. In other words, he's saying, if you have a ruler who acts like a child who, le- who leads with folly, woe to you, woe to that land. It will not go well when you have a leader who rules in foolishness. And so the point is this, Solomon's making the point, that kind of as a grandparent on the front porch, he's saying a little bit of folly can mess up everything. Be on guard, be vigilant, don't live foolishly. Which means that you and I need to pursue the opposite of folly, the opposite of foolishness, which is wisdom. That's the kind of life we need to live. And it's interesting here as we see chapter 10 and chapter 11 unfold that Solomon has a comprehensive view of wisdom. He wants to, to encourage us to live out wisdom in every area and every aspect of our lives. For example, if you look there in your notes, Solomon offers wisdom for your heart. For your heart. He wants you to have a heart full of wisdom. A heart overflowing with wisdom. A heart influenced by wisdom. So he offers here wisdom For your heart. Now look what he says there in chapter 10, verse 2. A wise man's heart does something. What does it do? It inclines him to the right but a fool's heart to the left. And when the fool walks on the road, he likes sense. He says to everyone that he is a fool. In other words, when you live with wisdom, when wisdom has control of your heart, you are led in the right direction, not the wrong direction. Now to understand this fully, you you and I need to understand what Solomon means when he uses the word fool, or what the Bible means when we see the word fool. A fool, and this is written by Philip Graham Reichen, a fool in the biblical sense is not necessarily someone with below average intelligence. That's not what he means when he says fool. Folly does not always show up on the low end of the IQ scale. Rather, the term refers, listen, to someone who lacks the proper fear of God and therefore is prone to go the wrong direction in life. And so Solomon's saying, you don't want to be a fool, you don't want to live in folly, you want to go the right direction in life, so you need a heart that will incline you to go in the right direction. If you look there in your notes, to walk in this wisdom, we need new hearts to move us in that right direction now if you have been reading the bible for very long and you read that verse that our heart should incline us towards incline us towards wisdom and doing the right thing you know that there is a really big problem the bible does not speak glowingly of the human heart In fact, over in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the Bible says, The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things who can know it. And so, because we're sinners, because we have a sin nature, our heart in and of itself is not trustworthy. You cannot trust your heart. You cannot follow your heart as we hear it said so many times in our culture because your heart is tricky, Your heart is deceitful. Your heart is wicked. Your heart will lead you in the wrong direction left to itself. So if you look there in your notes, what did I say? To walk in wisdom, we need new hearts. And that is one of the blessings of the new covenant that is ours in Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that when we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, when we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we are saved by faith alone. And at the moment of conversion, the moment when we are born again, our sins are washed away as the shed blood of Jesus is applied to our spiritual account and we are completely forgiven of all of our wrongdoing. Amen? That's good news. And we, we love to celebrate forgiveness. We love to talk about forgiveness. But there's another important aspect of the new covenant that you need to be aware of. When you were saved at the moment of conversion, not only were your sins washed away, you were given, listen, a brand new heart. It's like this. I love this illustration. It really helped me to understand this. A lot of people feel like that salvation is when you... Uh, you take a dirty car through a car wash, and you come through the other side, and all the dirt is washed away. The car is clean. And salvation is something like that. Our sins are washed away. We are made clean by the blood of Christ. But, but really, salvation is like a car, dirty car, going through a car wash, having the dirt washed away. But whilst in the middle of the car wash, someone comes in and puts new wiring and a new engine in the car. So when it comes out the other side, not only is the car clean, it has new internal wiring. It's a brand new vehicle. And that's what it means to be saved. Your sins are washed away. You are given a brand new heart. And so if you want to have a heart that inclines you to go the right direction, first of all, you need to be saved. You need a new heart. And God gives you that new heart in Christ. But here's the deal. Even as Christians with new new hearts, our old wiring is still there. It's called the flesh, our sin nature. So we have to make decisions. Are we going to live according to the new heart or the old sinful flesh? That's the decision we have to make every day as Christians. And you say, Pastor Wade, I want to live according to the new heart. I want my new heart to guide me. I want to live in accordance with who I am in Christ. Well, listen, here's what you need. You need the Holy Spirit of God to work in your heart every single day. It says over in Ephesians chapter 1 that the, the Spirit of God, listen, opens the eyes of our hearts. Gives us spiritual understanding, illumination, so we can make the decisions that glorify and honor God. So we can understand who we are in Christ. So we can live in accordance with the new nature, the new person that we are in Christ. So if you want to have a heart that inclines you to go in the right direction, not the wrong direction. If you want a heart that inclines you towards wisdom, not foolishness, you need to be saved. You need Jesus and you need the Spirit of God at work in your heart every single day. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit have control so He can open your heart up to glorify God. And so Solomon says here, if you want to walk in wisdom, you need, a, you need wisdom in your heart. But secondly, because he has a comprehensive view... He offers wisdom for your hands. Not only your heart, but your hands. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. What is Solomon talking about here? He's sharing some proverbs about work. About engaging your hands in in doing things. In work, in in occupation. He's speaking here of working hands. And and there's some great insight in these, these proverbs. For example... He wants us to understand that we should pursue vocation with caution. Did you catch that in verse 8? He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones, who cuts stones, is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. And so he's saying here, as you work, as you employ your hands, if you want to work with wisdom. If you want to be a wise worker, work with caution. Be careful. Be on guard. Don't be frivolous. Uh, uh, Work with with caution. But also we should pursue vocation with knowledge. Look in verse 10. If the iron is blunt and, and does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. In other words, if you have a dull axe, it's going to take you longer to cut down a tree. So take some time to sharpen the axe and the axe will be more effective and the tree will come down quicker. In other words, work smarter, not harder. That's what he's saying there. Work with, with knowledge, employ knowledge. Be, be smart about the way that you work. Uh, and look what he says in verse 15, same idea. The toil of a fool weary, wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. He just he didn't even know how to get back home, the fool. He just, he's just trying to make it through life with, with very little knowledge about, about how to live life. We also need to pursue vocation with urgency. Look in chapter 10, verse 11. This, this one is, is, is a little bit funny. Look in verse 11. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. In other words, if your job is to charm serpents so that they aren't dangerous, then you better go do it because if you don't do it, they're going to bite somebody. Right? And if your job is worth doing, if your vocation is worth doing, then do it. And do it with urgency. Because people need what you have to offer, what your hands have to offer. And then work with diligence, vocation with diligence. look in chapter 10, verses 18 and 19. Through sloth laziness the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks and so he's saying here that that if we are if we are lazy if we are slothful we are indolent then we should not expect to have our needs provided for he says in verse 19 bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything in in other words if you work you'll have what you need That's the way God set it up. In fact, over in 2 Thessalonians, the Lord said, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. God has has set up the, the order of the universe to function so that we work and through our work, God provides through our needs. So God is saying here through Solomon that if you want to be wise, you need wise hands. Apply wisdom to the way that you work, not folly. And by the way, Those few points that I just shared would revolutionize our society. Have you noticed we're having a worker crisis in our our communities right now? A worker crisis. Because we can't get folks to work, and we can't get folks that show up to work to work right, to work hard, to work diligently, to work urgently. And, And this is a big deal. And Solomon said, that's how a fool works. If you want to work with wisdom, have those wise hands. But not only does he talk about working hands in this passage, he talks about generous hands. Look in chapter 11, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. And there are different interpretations of this verse. Verse some believe it speaks of maritime commerce, about you know, using ships crossing seas to, to import and to export. Uh, but mostly, most Christian and Jewish scholars believe this speaks of being generous. If you are generous to others, then you'll have what you need in return. If you put your bread uh, on the waters to, to spread out to others, then it will come back to you what you need. The bread that you need will come back to you, which fits well with the next verse. Look what it says in verse 2. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Be generous. Give people what they need. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls there, it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. In other words, if you're just sitting around watching life go by... You can't, ex- you can't expect provision. But if you will look around you and find needs around you and have generous hands, open hands, that helps to meet those needs, then you can expect that you will be blessed in return. Which is exactly what the Bible says over in the Gospel of Luke. Where Jesus says, Give, and it shall be given to you. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, it shall be given to you. Press down, shaken together, running over. If you will be a person who is generous, if you help meet other people's needs, God God again is established in the rhythm of the universe that when you sow, you will reap. When you give, it will be given to you. When you provide, it will be provided for you. When you are generous, you can expect generosity. That's what he's saying here. So Solomon's saying, here's what a wise person looks like. He has wise hands. He has hands that work. And he has hands that give. Generous hands. But third, Solomon offers wisdom for your lips. He's talked about wisdom for your heart and wisdom for your hands. But third, wisdom for your lips. Look back in chapter 10, verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. But the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his words, uh, words of his mouth is foolishness. At the end of his talk is evil madness. Solomon here is offering wisdom for your lips. And, And I would say that most of us in this room have gotten ourselves into trouble... By allowing foolishness and folly to come from our lips. Can anybody identify with that or is it just me? Am I the only one? Okay, four of you have gotten in trouble with your lips. The rest of you, you've done great. But, but we all understand that, that our lips can get the best of us, right? James says our mouth, our tongue is like a forest fire. It burns things down. It's small. It's like a rudder of a ship. It's small, but it directs things. And Solomon is making the same point. If you want to be wise and not a fool, you need to give attention to your lips. And here's the point he wants to make. Listen, gracious words are better than harsh words. There in verse 12, he says it very clearly. The words of a wise man's mouth, watch this, win him favor. If he's gracious with his speech, it builds bridges into other people's lives. But the lips of a fool consume him. The lips of a fool win no favor because they are harsh. They are discouraging, not encouraging. They are mean, not kind. They are frivolous, not meaningful. And, and Solomon is saying gracious words that when you favor with others are better than harsh words. Which again, we see over in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul writes, because you're a new person in Christ, speak words that are only good for edification, words that build people up and not tear people down. What a, what a measurement, a simple measurement for our speech. By and large, do your words build folks up or do they tear them down? Solomon says gracious words are better than harsh Words. I remember the first sermon that I preached it was at my homecoming at Burton Baptist Church my pastor knew I'd been called to the ministry and he asked me to to preach homecoming and and so I, I preached the message is you know homecoming if you've been at a church with a homecoming Sunday is a big group big crowd was there celebrating the church's birthday and and uh, and and we had the music, and we had dinner on the grounds afterwards. And it was it was my time to preach, and I you won't believe this I preached a sermon in eighteen minutes, and it wasn't good. I'm just telling you. I mean, you think mediocre now? You should have heard that. All right, wasn't good. But I remember a- after church, I had um. I, you know, I'd eaten and I was walking through the churchyard and, and there was an older gentleman uh, in our church named Mr. Nelson. Mr. Nelson was very quiet. He kept to himself. He didn't say much to anybody. He was a, a widower, very kind man, there every time the doors were open, very faithful. And I don't know that I'd ever had a conversation with Mr. Nelson. I was, a you know, 20, 21. And I'm walking across the churchyard, and he stopped me. And he said, son, that sure was good preaching. Now listen, it wasn't good preaching. He could have said, you got a long way to go. And he would have been exactly right. But but listen, in in that moment, he chose to build up rather than tear down. And it meant the world to me. It was so encouraging. I I left feeling like Billy Graham. And listen, we have the capacity day after day after day, week after week after week in our home, in our workplace, at our school. We have the capacity to speak words of life that build up rather than tear down. Listen, our nation, our society has enough Evil, frivolous words that simply destroy. We need Christians to live in wisdom, to have gracious lips. And then Solomon makes the point, and this is a big one, you ready? Few words are better than many words. Few words are better than many words. Look what he says in chapter 10, verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win in favor, but the lips of fools consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. From beginning to end, he speaks folly. Now look what it says in verse 14. A fool multiplies words. Though no man knows what is to be, who can tell him what will be after him? So the fool just keeps on talking like a know-it-all. He just keeps on talking, multiplying words. And Solomon here is saying, Few words are better than many words. Here's the biblical principle, and, and don't miss this. There are things that are better left unsaid and come in close, that includes on social media. Because when you type something on social media, those are words. And our society has lost its mind with social media and public statements and, and, and people that are saying things for public consumption that are sheer foolishness. And, and, and Solomon says, listen, sometimes it's better not to say anything. I thought about this this summer during the Tokyo Olympics. If you remember the, the uh, women's gymnastics competition, Simone Biles, probably the greatest gymnast ever, withdrew from the team competition because she said she had some issues with her uh, mental and emotional health. And so she withdrew from the team competition. She felt like she was hurting her team rather than helping her team. And and she made that decision. Now here, here we are in America on the other side of the Pacific Ocean. And I was amazed at how quickly and how forcefully people commented on that situation. Some were saying, oh, well, she quit on her team. Others were saying, well, she's brave for, for taking care of herself and her mental health. And, and, and people were debating it on TV and posting stuff on social media. And I thought, these folks have no idea what's going on. No idea. And I, I thought, here's the thought I had. Everybody feels like they have to say something about this. Why? Just shut your mouth. Why do you have to comment on it? You don't know her. You don't know the situation. Just be quiet. And that's what Solomon's saying. Sometimes we're so hasty with our words, and they can be so mean and so uninformed. They burn things down rather than build things up. So Solomon commends wisdom for. Our lips. And fourth and last, fourth and last. Because Solomon has a comprehensive view of wisdom. He, he offers wisdom for our heart, for our hands, for our lips, and then our minds. He offers here wisdom for your mind. Now, fast forward to chapter 11. Chapter 11. I know we're covering a lot of ground, but it all fits into this, this picture of of grandfatherly Solomon, just sharing a few things to help us as we are sitting in a rocker on the front porch beside him. And look what he says in chapter 11, verse 5. As you do not know the way, the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Solomon here is, is speaking of the reality that we don't know everything. Just like We can't really understand how God breathes and all of a sudden there's life in a mother's womb when there wasn't life there the split second before that. All of a sudden there's a soul in a mother's womb, a person in a mother's womb. We, can't, we can talk about the biology, but we can't understand how God breathes that life into being, can we? It's miraculous. It's supernatural. It's incredible. But we can't fully understand that. And, and Solomon's basically saying, just like you don't fully understand that, you don't fully understand a lot. He's saying to you and to me, there's a lot you don't know. So, how do we live out wisdom with our mind? Our mind leading us to make wise decisions. Well, in the remainder of this passage, Solomon commends a positive approach to life. He he wants our mind to keep us engaged in that which is positive. And he gives us four areas in which we need to stay positive in life. Number one, stay positive in potential conflict. Back up to chapter 10, verse 4. He says, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So he's saying there, if you get crossways with a ruler, with a leader, with a king, with an employer, with, with a boss... And their anger is directed at you. He's saying, be calm, be positive, because if you're not, you're going to suffer much harm. He's saying, calmness will lay great offenses to rest. That word calmness can be translated healing. A calm, healing heart, a calm response can help you in times of Potential conflict. So when you find yourself coming at odds with someone else in whatever area of life that is, stay calm, stay positive. Let your mind lead you to be wise in that conflict. Secondly, stay positive when you don't understand God's ways. Look back over in chapter 11 verse 5. He says, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Solomon is saying, you don't understand everything, so just keep doing what God's called you to do. Participate in the normal order of life. Sow your seed. Sow Evening, don't withhold your hand. Sow and harvest work. Do what God's called you to do. But even when you don't understand God's ways, stay positive. Keep on keeping on. And then he says, stay positive in times of darkness. Look in verse 7. Verse 7. Solomon says, light is sweet. It is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Light's a good thing. But look what he says in the next verse. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Here's what is saying. If you live long enough, You're going to walk through times of darkness. Light is good. Light is wonderful. Everybody likes sunny days. But rainy days will come. Dark days will come. And that's when we need wise minds to stay positive in the midst of that. Keep our focus on the Lord. To trust Him. Even when we can't figure it out. Even when we don't understand the darkness, we want to stay positive and live according to the way God has called us to live. And then fourth, and this is really interesting. Stay positive when God enforces moral boundaries. Say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, Look in, look in verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes. In other words, Solomon here is saying tongue-in-cheek, live it up. Do what you want to do. Live it up. Look what he says next. But, <laughs> but, know that for all these things, things God will bring you into judgment. In other words, if you just live your life apart from the Lord, doing your own thing, going your own way, you're going to experience judgment. It's not going to go well. You will experience the consequences for ignoring God. He says in verse 10, Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Vanity. The word vexation there is the Hebrew word uh, kaos. It, it, it could be translated grief or sorrow. Remove grief or sorrow from your heart, is what he's saying. Why? Put away pain from your body. That word uh, pain could be translated evil. Put away evil from your body. The things that are causing you to, to, to be, stumble and fall, the consequences of your sin, put those things away. Put it away. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. In other words, if you're just living your young years without the Lord in your life, you will experience the consequences of those decisions. And Solomon says you don't have to go there. In fact, we're going to see next week that he says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. You don't have to live foolishly and frivolously as a young person. You can do the right thing. Follow the Lord. Fear Him. Live for His glory. But the point is this. When you ignore God and go your own direction, judgment is coming. It will be painful. But can I tell you this? As I look back over my life and I've made bad decisions, I'm so grateful that God cared enough about me to intersect my life with consequences. How many of you... Have ever been going your own way, doing your own thing, and God got your attention? Raise your hand if that ever happened to you in your life. You know what that is? It's grace. You know what's what's terrifying? Is that we go our own way and God says, okay, have at it. But I'm so grateful that throughout my life when I began to step over moral boundaries and and go the wrong direction, that God cares enough about me to intersect my life with judgment or with discipline to get my attention and get me back on the right path. And, And so Solomon's saying, rejoice when God does that. Put away evil. Stay positive when God enforces moral boundaries. It is a reflection of His grace. So we need positive thinking. We need positive minds to help us to make right decisions in this life. So Solomon offers wisdom for our hearts, our hands, our lips, our minds. As we sit on the the front porch with granddaddy Solomon, he's just dispensing these little nuggets of wisdom. We've all gotten a little bit wiser this morning. But we've also probably thought about our our past a little bit. And every one of us in here can say, as I look back over my life, I can see that I have blown it. I chose folly instead of wisdom. So listen, aren't you glad there's forgiveness in Christ? And then you say, well, wait, this is daunting. It's daunting to to live a wise life, to have wise hearts and wise hands and wise lips and wise minds. It's, It's daunting. Aren't you glad there's some help? When you were saved, the Holy Spirit of God came to take up residence in your life and to help you to live this out. In fact, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So that song we sang this morning, "I need you," as we think about this, as we think about this, this wise way of living, eschewing folly and choosing wisdom, we need to cry out to God this morning, I need you. We all need Jesus to live these kinds of lives. Will you bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? I don't know how the Lord has taken His word and applied it to your life. You're here and you say, uh, Pastor Wade, I sure have blown it in my life. I've done some, some foolish things. Well, welcome to the club. We all have. Everyone in this room has fallen short of the glory of God. The church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And that's why we are so excited about Jesus Hopefully, as you came to contact with our church, you thought, man, these folks, these folks are, are just excited about the Lord, excited about Jesus. We're so excited about Jesus because we need salvation. We need a Savior. We need transformation. We need hope and peace and life and joy. And all of that is found in Christ. It's good news. God loves you so much, He sent His only Son to this earth to come and take on human flesh And Jesus, the God-man, fully God and fully man, went to the cross for you and for me. He died for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserve. He took all of our sin on himself. And after he died on the cross, he was buried. And early on the third day, he rose from the grave. He's alive today and he's mighty to save. And if you need to be saved today, forgiveness for all of your folly. As we stand and sing in a moment, would you just come and take my hand and say, Pastor Wade, I need to be saved we'd love to sit down with you for a few moments, share some scripture with you, answer any questions that you have, but most of all, just to be there with you, to encourage you in that moment as you call on the name of Jesus, trusting him to be your personal Lord and Savior. Won't you come? Jesus loves you. And maybe you're here, that eternal question has been answered. You know that you're saved, you, you have a personal relationship with God through Christ, but you've You've seen this vision clearly this morning. Solomon is calling you to a wise life. And you want to live with a a wise heart and wise hands and wise lips and a wise mind. Would you ask the Lord to do that for you today? To help you to live out this vision that Solomon has cast. To live a life that honors and glorifies God. A life that lays foolishness to the side and pursues life in the fear of God. Would you ask God to do that to help you today? To Help you to live that kind of life? Would you ask God to help me to live that kind of life? Oh, how we need Him. Maybe God's led you to be a, a member here at First Baptist. If that's the case, come down and let us know that. We'll talk to you from there. Whatever God's doing in your heart and life, would you just be obedient and respond to Him as we sing this this song of response. Father, this is your time. We place it in your hands, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.